G'day, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RVC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or generic fruit-based device. So we're really grateful for you taking the time to download and listen to this RVC podcast, and we don't ask much in return. We'd be incredibly grateful if you could pop to um, Apple Podcast and, and send us a review or, or write a review for us. Ooh. So uh, I've got a few reviews here. I'll just read out a, a couple of them because actually I thought they were quite interesting, and maybe Brian would be interested because he doesn't really look at this stuff anyway. So uh, says so um, uh, from a, a Year 11 student, Brian, we, we're uh, reaching... Uh, a, the breadth of uh, people who haven't even started vet yet. So I'm only 16, but someone who's set, um, set on becoming a vet and these podcasts give me real insight into the profession from a perspective that you definitely won't get on Open Days and the UCAS website. Surprisingly able to keep up. That's that's probably because uh, we don't ask complicated questions, albeit with very limited veterinary knowledge. But a really enjoyable podcast is to the way to school. So thank you for that, and good luck with your uh, studies, uh, Celia. Um, Pitch Perfect, so these podcasts are excellent, educational, entertaining, a real broad range of subjects, and it really highlights the challenges of applying the latest research into clinical practice. Well done. Uh, we'll say Brian and Dom and the team. So that's uh, Steve the Vet and Great Revision. Hmm, interesting. So uh, it's good that they're revising there, isn't it? Uh, mm. <laughs> it's a really interesting <laughs> podcast. He's a great for Finals revision, great variety of topics. <laughs> Sorry, didn't pitch perfect a film. Acapella. Oh, maybe, maybe that. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so really interesting podcast. A great listening for finals revision. Great variety of topics. Good for listening in the car. So Lizzie, that. So thank thank you for those. Um, and uh, and there's uh, another one. Just one finally because uh, I, I suppose there's been a, a fury. Maybe uh, people have um, been been listening and writing uh, writing these. But really helpful podcast. Excellent fruition on the move. When you just can't write notes anymore, it makes you feel like I'm passively taking something in. Thanks so much for doing them. They're definitely helping for finals well thank you whoever you are rvc students so that's good maybe maybe we'll just ask for i, I believe there's the uh, british podcast awards at the moment and uh, so if you type in um uh, www british podcast awards and there's listeners choice we actually like a like appear as a podcast that you can actually find so so maybe that's good maybe you could actually uh vote for us there maybe this week uh, and uh, and see uh, if we get anything more than sort of three three votes that would be uh, that'd be interesting um but anyway back to the, the podcast so yes yeah, so uh, dot com. try try and um a listeners choice award would be would be great and, and vote i'm sure there's uh, other other podcasts that will get far more votes than us but uh, but you know we've got to be in the race some point in time anyway so back in the studio, joined by Brian and myself. So uh, Andrew Fish-Jackson, who is one of our senior lecturers here in equine surgery, uh, has joined us for the second time. Sadly, he, he, we were meant to have another discussion with him in the podcast a couple of uh, a couple of weeks back, but he injured himself uh, running the, the hero that, 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 he, that he is. Um, so we're glad that he's on the mend and he doesn't have a, a, a boot on and his uh, Achilles is healing well. So thank you for, for braving um, your trip into the studio again, Fish. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't possibly get here whilst I'm crouching. No, no, no it's, it's far too difficult. It's far <laughs> too difficult. So, um, and we're going to talk about uh, um, uh, gait analysis and and uh, maybe the, the technologies involved in in that. So, um, uh, so maybe if I first ask you, so what what are what are our uh, um, so the way that we assess gait in in horses? What what are our our, mm. our options? Yeah. So thanks, Tom. So I mean, basically the. Um, over the years, things have come back. In 1987, we started um, actually um, a uh, study which came out of the Royal Vet College, um, May and Wynne Jones, and they first looked at um, gait analysis and started putting some proper descriptors down. And in particular, I think most people would find that um, fall in lameness um, is is more straightforward to see because we see a head nod uh, compared to hind limb lameness, where um, we are looking primarily at, a, at what's been termed a hip hike or I tend to prefer to call it uh, tubercoxy excursion so 
um, looking at the amount of movement each tubercoxy uh, left and right makes. And back then they identified that on the lame side we see increased excursion. They did it in a much, obviously at that point, um, a simpler way. They just took... Um, put markers on the tubercoxy and put 30 centimetre markers down the tail and then took a whole series of photos of the horse trotted away and were able to obviously with that guide um, look at the amount of movement of each tubercoxy and from there uh, we started thinking well okay that's what we're looking at um, and um, you know over the years people have got got better at it and described a little bit more we know there's there are a whole host of other things which are looked at, um, such as stride length and uh, foot placement and um, drift as well. People look at so drifting uh, one direction um, uh, towards the site of uh, lameness uh, and the hind. Um, they may look at there's also a head nod involved in some hind and lamenesses. But I think to the, for the um, perhaps the sort of beginner maybe. Um, and those who are perhaps less confident with lameness is not to get too bogged down in all the other uh, nuances which many experts might look at. And I think what puts a lot of people off, perhaps, uh, getting involved with, with lameness diagnosis is they feel somewhat um, uh, intimidated by the amount of um, terms and number of terms out there and also just get intimidated by horse owners perhaps themselves who they feel you know will have an opinion on, on where the horse is lame and and then you know if they can't see that they get worried that they they um you know will be um at a, a big disadvantage so essentially you know we the, the very simple things are a head nod uh, for a forelimb lameness with the head taking uh, going up when the lame stride, uh, lame leg is hitting the ground and coming down when the sound leg hits the ground. And really what the horse is doing is simply using the considerable weight of its head and neck to offload the weight from the from the forelimb, just in the same way as a dog or cat would do it, in the same way we would do it. Um, and, you know, when you look at the forelegs, it is about halfway along the horse's body if you look at it from the side. And so, um, uh, you know, it's not, a, not unreasonable for it to do that. And then with respect to the hind leg, um, it's a little bit more complicated of why increased tubercoxy excursion occurs. Um, but we see uh, reduced loading on the, um, on the lame leg. And then when the sound leg hits the ground, we almost get this sort of elastic recoil of the, of the lame leg's tubercoxy. So it doesn't put much weight, there's much reduced motion. So when the when the lame leg is hitting the ground, the other tubercoxy, if you like, is doing the downwards movement. And so um, there's less has less time to downward move but also as it as the sound leg hits the ground then the lame legs tubercoxy does this big excursion because it's it uh, it is spending more time weight bearing and it and the sort of elastic recoil causes that to move more and that really is what has led to um when we talk about gait analysis and objective gait analysis is to you know where we put the sensors essentially um can i just so, so just maybe uh, um just a take a, a little quick step back so when you're actually um talking to a client about a lame horse and when they when they come in do you do you always get the horse to trot up and down in a straight mm. line or do you talk to them first about what their impression is or or do you yeah so it's put good. it put it in a, a lunge it yeah of course or? good good yeah, no, very good point. Now we obviously start if I start right at the beginning, really from what we go, we do. Now, of course, we've got perhaps more time than a, a first opinion vet might might have. But of course, um, if you like the sort of gold standard, and of course, you know, like with all these things, good history, etc., getting an idea of the progression, the chronicity, um, how 
how things have um, how things started. Sometimes owners can only feel the lameness when the horse is ridden, um, which is, is is relevant. And they all they can really say is that it doesn't feel right. Um, they may have sought the opinion of someone um, or not, but so you know you're certainly there getting an idea of whether you know there's it's associated with shoeing, uh, associated with um, a acute onset whilst being ridden, um, for example, a tendon injury um, or so forth, or maybe it's more insidious, a slower um, uh, rate of onset. For example, if we consider things such as navicular syndrome, uh, one of the more classic, that's more usually of an insidious onset. Um, fall in lameness and quite often you know the questions for example to ask is you know when you're riding downhill does the horse suddenly feel more stilted taking quite sort of short strides that usually indicates um, pain on the in the heels of the front legs um, naturally because as you're going downhill you have to put your heel on the ground first um, unavoidably and so they they really back off and don't want to do it and much more comfortable on on the flat and on soft surfaces so things like that can give you a little bit of an insight as to where you think the lameness could be coming from but of course you know there's a whole bundle of different factors which come into play and some of it which can be sort of red herrings and so forth but so the first thing we do is um get the horse out and just look at it from the side and you can almost play a little sort of game with yourself and see if you can predict which leg the horse is going to be lame on before it even moves um you can do that by looking at muscle asymmetry. So you look at um, the, if you're standing the horse from behind, you can look at the gluteal muscling and uh, just either side of the tuba sacrali to so the big sort of roundedness of the backside. Um, and the horse that's been lame for two, maybe three months onwards, and uh, even just mildly lame, will have a reduced muscle mass on that side. Um, of course, if it's less time, you may not see that, um, but you will certainly better appreciate the more chronically lame horse. It's disuse atrophy, so you better predict the leg, um, uh, the, the hind leg the horse may be lame on. Of course, it may be sound at that time, that still would indicate that it's had a lameness there in the past, most likely. Um, with the falling, you can't highlight it so easily visually, but you can certainly palpate. So what I tend to do is stand in front of the horse, um, and you can just feel the scapular spine coming down. And you feel the supra and infraspinatus muscles at either side of the scapular spine. Uh, and they will, if they are atrophied, you will appreciate the scapular spine more prominently. You know, so it's, it's a subjective assessment, but in the same fashion, you might get that, that disuse atrophy of the upper limb muscling. And then looking down, at the, in particular, this is useful for the front legs, looking at the feet. If you've got a more upright, contracted foot, smaller foot uh, with higher heels, um, narrower foot, you would tend that tends to indicate in the same fashion of more of a disuse um, atrophy, but it changes to the hoof uh, uh, structure and conformation, which would tend to indicate you've got a lameness in that foot. So a reduced, um, so an increased heel height and uh, reduced size indicating the lamer leg. Uh, and that can be um, particularly um, uh, relevant. Um, and of course, you may see. Um, swellings of joints and, and so forth that might be visually apparent I don't tend to touch the horse at this point many will palpate the horse before they watch the horse trot me being perhaps a bloke and a surgeon I get my, I've got a low concentration span uh, so uh, I, I, it helps me to be interested in palpating a leg if I know there's a lameness coming from there that's as the way I was trained as well um, you know if you're if you literally faced with the entire horse to palpate um, I just can't concentrate for that long, I don't think. So, um, you know, and I think genuinely, you know, you, you, you're in danger of picking up sort of red herring. I think it's much, um, much more uh, interesting to palpate a leg, which horse is lame on. And then um, we'll see the horse walk and um, simple features such as foot placement uh, are 
uh, in the front legs, for example, I mentioned already, if a horse has navicular bone, navicular syndrome, palmar foot pain in the front feet, in a similar fashion, if you had a, a stone in your heel, you wouldn't be you'd be looking to try and um, walk on the sort of front part of your foot. So you would you wouldn't have a heel first gait. In the same fashion, if a horse has got palmar foot pain, if you look very closely, you would think it's too quick. But actually, if you get tuned in, you can just see the horse whether the toe is the last thing to hit the ground or whether the horse is uh, landing quite flat-footed. And of course. Um, in the extreme with, with really bad sort of deep digital flexor tendon injuries in the front they'll almost almost um, walk toe first and you see it's very short in stride so that's um, with respect to foot placement you also can look at fetlock extension um, with reduced loading the, the fetlock will extend less um, the caveat to that is the, if, if you've got um, SDFT, so superficial digital flexor tendon or suspensory ligament injuries in the acute phase you might actually see increased fetlock extension because of loss of the structural support to the fetlock um, but there'd be other signs um, you know, showing you that as well so reduced fetlock extension usually uh, means that it's, la it's lame on the leg which has got reduced fetlock extension due to reduced loading and you can look at other things such as foot placement of course um, and um, the horse may even show you a head nod at walk but um, as I said it's quite nice if you can predict before the horse trots which leg the horse is lame on um, it sort of gives you that little bit of a inner glow, if you like, that yeah, you know you, you've done quite well. But of course, you know the the, the most uh, reliable pace to see, mainly because it's two times symmetrical gait, is the trot, and it's the most classical thing is trotting the horse away and trotting back. Now I um, arm, I'm armed with a video camera um, whenever I watch horses trot up, and uh, I video every single. Uh, lameness of every single block just a, once there and back um, video nights at my night or my house are something something fantastic in the popcorn um, I think I've got something like 10,000 videos and ridiculous over the years um, and um, but but in all seriousness you know 99% of those I'll never look at um, but um, just on occasion where you want to look back and compare see if the horse has improved it provides some objectivity you know rather than having to try and remember um, or as you look at your notes, but uh, um, you can simply literally line them up uh, side by side. Um, I normally put them into a PowerPoint uh, program to do that, and um, you can just make sure certain that you know you've got um, whether it's the same, improved, or whatever it might be. So I normally watch the horse trot up and down twice without the camera, and then record it once. And and there you're looking at it in a straight line. Obviously, you make your judgment as I've already talked about in terms of. Uh, head nod or tubercoxy excursion um, and then you would see the horse on both the soft surface and hard surface lunges if you've got them uh, we um, are lucky enough of course to have um, all the surfaces we might desire but um, you have to bear in mind very soft surfaces um, may be very, very boggy or deep or so forth um, hard surfaces may not be safe to trot the horse around you know a car park a tarmac car park is quite dangerous um, a more gritty surface is much more acceptable to do that. Can I ask so why, why do you have different surfaces? So it's a good question. So purely to provide concussion um, and or a different um, force on the horse's leg, which can precipitate different um, lamenesses or different causes of lameness. Well, you will find, for the most classic being navicular, coming back to navicular syndrome, it's a very common lameness. 
Um, usually they are uh, precipitated by lunging on the hard surface. So you get the concussion effect and the torsional force on the limb as well as it's going in the circle. So many times you'll see no lameness in the front leg until you watch them lunge on a hard surface. They'll be perfectly sound on the soft and then lunging on the hard, they're worse. On the flip side, there are some conditions, um, some, some usually things like suspensory ligament dermitis and the hind leg are worse. Uh, on the soft surface, often with the limb on the outside. Well, they don't all read the textbook, so it's not absolutely prescriptive. But um, certainly, it's a um, it's useful to have that modality. And of course, you you can you can canter the horse on the uh, on the soft surface lunge, of course, as well, and that could be useful. And f- quite often, seeing a horse um, going through transitions from trot into canter, and and actually more relevant to me, I think quite useful is is canter into trot. Um, or even trying to walk, make sure you just watch those horses. Sometimes they'll give you a little bit of an accentuation of a lameness just so they're coming the moment they come down and through a downward transition. To avoid that limb. Yeah, you know, that, that reduction in speed has to be that increased force required potentially or a different force uh, required than the maintenance of speed. And so slowing down can be actually quite a um, painful exercise. So don't take your eyes off the horse uh, as they're doing that. And then... Um, I should mention this point, and this is relevant when we will come to talk a little bit more about um, objective gait analysis. And if a horse is messing around, as it often they will, you know, they'll be excited, adrenaline, and so forth. There's another horse going past, whatever it might be. Then, of course, it's going to be harder to see a lameness, harder to evaluate properly. Um, and you either you've got to make a judgment. You can either wait, be patient, and the horse will settle down. Sometimes we'll go and lunge the horse uh, on the soft. Use that part first and then come back and watch the horse in a straight line once it's blown off some steam and uh, maybe just slightly more fatigued um, but you can consider the use of acepromazine um, in which the dose is, is tailored to, to whatever you feel is necessary for the horse but uh, that has the effect I find of almost relaxing the horse into a lameness sometimes you see it even better um, just given a, a 10 minutes or so in advance of trotting it um, if you really are struggling, then things like xylazine can be used. Um, and that's been shown recently to not really affect too much uh, the lameness. So those are things that the horse is messing around um, that you want to get some, some reliable visual and objective data. Uh, flexion tests are another thing we use. So I tend to try and separate out distal and proximal inflections on the hind legs and distal inflections on the front legs, perhaps proximal, more relevant for, for racehorses. And... Um, I wouldn't say they're worth everything. Uh, flexion tests, they're useful. Some horses are resentful of it, but you can get a uh, quite a good idea of... Um, uh, or it helps to confirm maybe suspicions or add a little bit more evidence to what you think might be the cause. Um, if they are worse with a um, distal limb, for example, versus proximal limb or so forth. Um, but sometimes they're not as, as helpful as you might think. And, of course, older horses are more likely to be positive um, just due to their age and some low-grade um, uh, arthritic change within a joint that's not actually significant so you know the, le- the, the flexion tests um, certainly are worth doing if, if the if the facility in the horse is, is appropriate but um, uh, you know if, 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 if it's dangerous or so forth then it's not not worth doing so you hold up for a couple of minutes or? yeah so one minute is 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 my you, at least 45 seconds thinks relevant um, and you hold it up in a sustained flexion for, for, for one minute and then watch it trot off. And you're looking for the lameness to um, usually see sort of three or four lame strides and it should even out to uh, to baseline. Um, if you 
if you see a positive response, you might see you might see a very severely positive response. Things like digital flex tendencies, uh, tenosynovitis will often cause a very uh, be very very responsive to flexion, almost non weight bearing, versus a mild exacerbation. And I think you can sort of grade it. I tend to grade it just to sort of mild, moderate, severe response. Um, but um, as I said, it's it's um, not always easy to do on horses that are just being a little bit difficult and so forth. Um, and then, of course, you at that point you have gathered a lot of you know data, and you will be satisfied, hopefully, that you've got a lameness. If I you know should stress, if you can't see a lameness, no matter what the owner says, you've got to be true to yourself. You can't block a horse, you know, perform nerve blocks on a horse, you know, um, that you don't really think you're going to be able to appreciate an improvement with. Another strategy you can use, of course, is see the horse ridden. And uh, that can be very useful, especially in the milder lamenesses. Or certain lamenesses seem to be more more evident with the horse ridden. Um, that, of course, um, it can be the, either the owner, which can be useful, can be a hindrance, um, due to sort of preconceived idea, um, or someone who, you know, is, is a groom. Um, and even, you know, I've been known to sit on horses but I used to back to my riding career um it can be quite useful um but of course you know if you're a stranger to the horse then it's somewhat clouded by that and I think usually if possible it's better if the rider does um and they can show you perhaps what they mean they can keep put it through the movement which the horse is showing the most lameness in um and then that may be relevant that they're present for foot to assess the horse after nerve blocks and they'll be able to tell you whether it's improved or not risk of bias of course but um you know sometimes that's what's required in order to get to the root of these lamenesses so, so would you would you pause here if 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 you um you can't appreciate a lameness and you've mm. you've done everything that's uh um, i suppose non non-invasive mm. to a point mm. would would you then often just say to people look yeah. should we should we give it a, a bit of time and come yeah. back if it's and i think that's that's i mean in, in a funny kind of way you know the that's, that's the aim, isn't it? To have a horse that's not lame, you know. So, um, yeah, I think you've got to. It depends on the situation, uh, what the horse. You know, you've got to go back a bit and think. Well, you know, what is the situation? The owner sees the horse lame, and is it after work? Um, you know, is it um, the day after hard work or so forth? And so that may be relevant in the the plan going forward. There is a tendency sometimes to say, well, we'll lunge it to sort of try and precipitate a lameness. But I get worried about doing that. You know, if the lameness was prepared to improve you know did sit in a situation for me to see it the first time it's hard for me to provide a consistent baseline you need a consistent baseline if you're going to block um for for obvious reasons so if you haven't got that i much prefer to see the horse go away um and then it's you know you're on the basis you, know, you come onto palpate next i should say that's that's and you may then identify what if the horse is currently saying what was causing the lameness it might be you've got a thickened tendon for example and of course that's going to dictate your instruction to the client versus something where you can't find a problem on palpation or during gait analysis in which case you can be more confident about putting the horse in back into work uh, during an ascending program you know if you've got a tendon lesion you're going to be a lot more more you'd scan it first and then you'd you'd give a, be a lot more cautious about your 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 rehab so you know if you can't spot a lameness you still want to try and as much as possible get to the bottom via history and palpation of what potentially it was um but yes if you you know if you can't spot one um then you simply got to send the horse away to go back into work 
and then you may decide to see the horse in four or six weeks time uh, or leave it with the owner this day and age of smartphones and telephone videos and whatsapp and so forth it can be quite nice you know to say to them, well send me a video you know of, of in, in in four to six weeks um and you know it's not not as good as the real thing but of course it gives you some indication um of of, of how things are going for, for, for the most time as well fish are they see the lamenesses that you see have they have they already had a bit of uh uh, rest and beauty or do you, do you normally like, yeah is it, is it a very pragmatic approach initially or do yeah. so some people think that the initial onset of a lameness means you need to you yeah, know, work up good, to, good the, point. So to the eyeballs naturally i suppose it's never i'm talking from a referral surgeon's perspective you know mm. so you know if you're seeing a horse in the first instance then then yeah absolutely you know if i should go and twist your ankle out running or something stupid like that then uh, you um, um you know you're going to you're not going to go rushing to the doctor or a and e just like i did no you'd, you'd be a bit more sensible tougher you know you would you would in all seriousness you would you would you know take some time um not you know rest it um for my general advice you know bog standard advice of is two weeks of box rest of which the first five days you give some buttes and pain relief and that would be my standard approach to a to a lameness of that is um obviously not severe yeah so it's, does that depend if they're like 10 10, well, yeah, 10, 10 but if they're yeah if they're so, markedly so lame precisely and you've got to make make a judgment call on that anything that's and there's some lamenesses to be fair you know if you take you know i use the example of a digital flex energy uh, um injury you know many times if you get a tear with a, of a structure within that um uh, sheath uh, then they are pretty sore to begin with um but again you make it just comes with a bit of experience i guess but you know you 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 make a judgment there's no wound there's some distension of a structure um you know is it just that he's got an acute uh, bleed into that structure um and um you know it may well settle now of course it may well settle to you know to a constant two out of ten lameness but i would never start blocking a horse that had been lame for less than two weeks at least and usually it's a lot more than that you know you've got to allow nature to take its course and things just to right themselves you know little tweaks here and there we all do it you know when you tweak something and um you know a week or so later you can't remember you've done it so of course that that's entirely relevant and um as i said as a general rule i wouldn't work up a horse that hasn't been um box rested for at least uh, uh two weeks um as, as a rule so um, but of course yeah if it's if it's lamer you know um, you're concerned about a sepsis or a fracture or pus in the foot and you've got to deal with that more readily um so yeah and they, they normally those things that are quite acute presentations. Yeah, yeah, I mean certainly, certainly um, all those things I just mentioned. You know, if you've got a septic joint or a fracture, of course, uh, pus in the foot. The two, you saw your three main most common reasons for you know your non-weight bearing lameness. You know, and differentiating between those, of course, is important. And people worry. I know, crikey, am I going to miss it? But um, I think generally not a standard approach. Hoof testers on. You know, there's going to be no pus in the foot really that's not sensitive to hoof testers um and then of course broken leg but of course people worry about that but um i promise you they are pretty obvious um you know dramatic swelling at the site not non-weight bearing lame obviously uh, you know deviations of the limb crepitus etc uh, of course they can have fractures further up the limb you know femoral fractures and so forth um and they're perhaps a little bit more tricky to spot and in my early days i remember i um, initially mistook a horse with a femoral fracture for, for a horse that had colic mainly because the owner thought it had colic and I went there thinking well this is a colic um, and then um, 
once the horse sat, horse didn't move for in the first sort of 20 minutes of my examination. I was thinking, yeah, it doesn't seem like a colic. Uh, and then I just walked it forward just to get it away from the uh, from the backside of the stable so I could rectal it, and it was obviously 10 tenths lame. And I thought, ah, that's... Uh, but, you know, you can be... Um, they they can manifest in slightly different ways, but they're, they're slightly different. These are your acute onset severe lamenesses. Um, and as I said, those those three things in particular, fracture, uh, joint sepsis and, and um, subcellular abscess, pus in the foot, are going to be the most common reasons. And then, you know, perhaps associated with shoeing, you know, putting a shoe on, you know, lame late, later that day, you know, obvious links that you would have to make. So, so now we can you know have a have a look at uh, look at horses and chop them up and even use uh, cameras. I, I assume you use more of a, a landscape mode than a portrait mode when you're uh, recording on your uh, fruit-based device. preferred? I'm old school, so I've got um, a you know, video camera. I haven't quite got the VHS sort of Del Boy Russian sort of uh, Russian-made video camera that uh, I bought, but but you know, I have to confess um, one of the most important things, and I think the phones are getting better. Um, but it's a zoom facility that that doesn't be, doesn't ruin the image and it can do it smoothly. Um, and you know the video cameras. You know I've I've got a, a small um, digital camera with a um, uh, optical zoom and and it's it's a you know it's very smooth. Um, yeah, everything's stored on SD cards. A lot of you know you don't want to start cramming up your phone with loads and loads of data. So um, you know you and I store all the videos on a. Um, one terabyte um, external hard drive, you know, and I think agreeably, you know, all these things can go wrong, admittedly, for backing up and so forth. But, you know, the actual act of taking the video, there's absolutely no doubt that a separate device, in my opinion, is better. Uh, not least because it might be raining, you know, you don't want to be getting your phone out, it doesn't work quite as well, etc., etc. So, um, you know, that that's without doubt my preferred device, and, um, you know, you can pick these cameras up for. Um, so about 150 pounds. You get a perfectly decent camera that you know will last you for you know a good few years. Uh, it's well worth it. I like the fact that you said that uh, the the initial sort of work on gate analysis I had no no idea that it was done done here and using mm. photos. It must have been quite a laborious <laughs> uh, process. Uh, well, for, yeah. uh, for you know getting getting that out into the uh, mm. um, into a into a journal, then taking all those photos yeah, and it's... then waiting for them to be developed to then work yeah. out whether you got them <laughs> in the right in place. the dark room, you know. Like so, so now there's there's like software to look at gate analysis mm. and and um, and I imagine this has been around for a, uh, for a bit of time. But what what, um, what what cases do you think you're more preferred, or you think that it's useful to to mm. use this? And and do you think that it should be done? Like, can it be done in the field, or, or do you mm. do you really need to take them and and uh, um, use it on horses that are, that that are you know, in a soft or hard surface, or in, in more of a controlled environment? Mm. Should we say? Yeah, so, well, I mean, it's come a long, long way, and I guess the gold standard now remains a sort of kinematic analysis you'll get. So essentially the horses come into a lab, they have these bio, these reflective markers placed on the joints, and they walk over force plates and have cameras looking at them and produce a digital image, and it all gets very... You look at loading of the limb, you know, in, in the three directions, and, um, you know, it's that's obviously not practical. It's um, very, very accurate, but not practical. Um so and that's you know where these what both people will now think of as being your objective gate analysis these systems whereby inertia sensors are placed on the the uh, the same locations that that i mentioned right at the beginning you know look on the pole um the tubus uh, sacrali 
and the tube of coxie. Um, and there's a couple of different um, uh, systems out there. There's one produced by Royal Vet College themselves. It's uh, obviously we use. Um, and the main uh, system in, 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 in on the market is, is something called Nequinosis, um, often called the lameness locator, although that's being changed because it doesn't actually locate lameness. But, but you know, it's a very, very good system, both are. Um, and they're both you know, measuring the same sort of thing. And what they're doing you know, is, is nothing fancy other than just measuring uh, the very same things that you will be looking at visually. That's it. Um, the only thing is they can measure to a much um, greater degree of accuracy and to much, measure much smaller differences than is appreciable by the human eye. So the human eye can only pick up about a 25% asymmetry, um, somewhere in the region of 18 to 20 millimeters, um, maybe less. And we know that um, there's um, what we call domain restricted expertise. That simply means experts, you know, thankfully, are a little bit better at it than, than students. Um, simply practice you know some people have a bit of a gift like like a lot of things to be able to spot it but um, there's no doubt that practice does improve things which is obviously relevant if you're starting out but these um, um, you know these these systems can measure down to the last millimeter um, and no one's trying to protect pretend that any horse um, person or anyone is completely symmetrical but um, certainly the uh, you know that we have limits of uh, difference that we, we, we will um, in the hind leg is down at three millimeters in the front leg is six to seven millimeters you know same slightly depending on horse now that's not people get um, opponents of the system if you like and there are people who don't really believe that objective based analysis is necessary um, and of course we don't get hung up on a three millimeter lameness four millimeter lameness in a you know in an elderly cobbed you know or or any other ridiculous circumstance, you know, it is purely there as um, a guide as to what, you know, it should really be within or under that um, uh, difference. And when I talk about three millimetres and six millimetres, millimetres, what we look at is the difference between the, what's called, what's known as min diff and max diff. And what that is, is as the horse has got a, if we concentrate on the front legs, so the horse's head goes up and down, twice per stride cycle each time each front leg hits the ground so left four and then right four its head comes down and when it uh, in between times its head comes up and it produces a sine wave essentially of equal amplitude in the sound horse now on a lame leg we've already said it puts less weight through that leg and so it will be it's um, the, the minimum height reached by the head will be less when the lame head leg hits the ground likewise um, it probably doesn't push off as much off a lame leg, which you'd expect. And so the maximum reached after the lame leg has hit the ground, so the maximum reached on push-off from the lame leg, is less than the maximum reached uh, of push-off from the sound leg. That's very straightforward and very intuitive. And we can measure the difference between those maximums and the difference between the minimums, and that's what we call abbreviated min diff and max diff. And those differences are those values I gave you, which of uh, six to seven millimeters in the front and three millimeters in the back. It seems extraordinarily small amounts, small distances, but that is what it is. Um, and where have they come from, those values? Well, over years and years of collecting data from uh, what perceived to be lame horses by experts, uh, and then obviously correlating that against the distance that those structures were moving. 
And really, it's quite as simple as, you know, why would you use it? Well, you know, if I said to you, you know, Don, how long is your phone in, in centimetres? I'll give you a million pounds if you get it right. I'll give you two choices. You can either use a ruler or you can just guess. What are you going to do? Probably going to use a ruler. <laughs> exactly. And that's all it's doing. It's, you know, it's basically measuring the very same thing that you're looking at visually. Um, and that, you know, you asked about, you know, what sort of situation would you use it in? Well, which type of horse can it be used on yards? Well, truth is, any and all. Of course, you know, do I use it on every single horse? Well, there's no reason why I wouldn't. It's just sometimes I don't need to necessarily. I mean that in the sense I've also got a very obvious fall in lameness. Um, it wouldn't be wrong to put it on every horse at all. Um, but uh, just I'll probably use it on about 70% of my cases. Um, mainly because it provides the objectivity. There's no risk of bias, which we know occurs. Um, that people, you get this idea of where you think a lameness is probably coming from. You put the block in, which is, should block that. You look at it, you think, I think that's improved. Um, but, you know, uh, without that objectivity, you know, that can't lie. The thing about it, that it cannot lie. It hasn't, you know, it's not self-aware yet. Um, so, you know, it's not... Um, you know, it simply cannot do that. So you can choose to ignore it if you wish. Um, the data, as I mentioned before, if the horse is messing around, trotting up, well, you can see that. So you also ignore the data. Um, you can look at the data. It tells you about standard deviations. Is it good quality data? Is it believable data? Um, it's generated pretty rapidly afterwards. Uh, and, you know, you can... Uh, and the owners, you know, they, they, they really like it because it's a much more scientific... Um, way of looking at it. Now, of course, you know, again, opponents of the system will say, well, look, there's lots of other things that we look at for lameness. And I absolutely agree. Um, and of course, those things are harder for a machine to measure, although I should stress, not impossible in years to come. But um, certainly what the machines, the, the, the inertia systems are measuring are uh, simply those amplitude changes that were identified way back in 1987. Um, and we still use to this day, and that's what they measure. Um, now, the more portable systems that are on, you know, the ones I described, they can be used out on a yard. Again, you look at your terrain. Of course, if it's not a, you know, if the terrain isn't even, that you know, you, you're going to get aberrations in the data. You know, it's, it's straightforward. If, um, but they can, they, you can measure on the lunge, um, and um, in a straight line, in the same fashion, and you can compare before after blocks in the same fashion. So these things, you know, it just simply provides that that sort of pat on the back, if you like. Yes, you're right. And I always make sure I make the decision before I look at the data. You know, I make sure that I, I'm not um, uh, biased by what it what it is. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, to be honest, I, I rarely disagree with it. You know, I rarely find that. So, and if I do, I think, oh, gosh, was I being biased then? So look at it again. Um, you know, and I'm still videoing them as well. Um, is is it have some benefit if you have? I, I imagine in in the you know the, the main essence of all that we do as uh, as veterinarians is to have like one diagnosis as well as one problem. But I imagine that some horses have are, have more than one mm. lameness. And is it is it better when you're dealing with yeah? You know, so like lamenesses well, and two the, limbs. Yeah, that, that raises some other interesting points, I guess, about it. The fact that, of course, you know, there's you can certainly have multi limb lameness, and that's common. Um, and it does help to um, differentiate that to a point. Um, 
you you need to know that um, about the possibility of referred lameness, for example. So um, if you've got a particularly um, severe right hind, for example, lameness, then that can simulate the head nod that occurs with a particularly severe right hind lameness. So the horse moves its head actually to offload weight off its hind leg in this situation by bringing its head down <coughs> when the when that leg is hitting the ground. So it's looking to sort of almost like a sort of seesaw effect. And of course, at the same time, the contralateral forelimb will be hitting the ground. So it's going to simulate a ipsilateral forelimb lameness. Okay, so if the leg head's coming down when the right hind, for example, is hitting the ground, the left fore will also be hitting the ground at the same time. And that's going to make it look like the head's coming down the left fore because it's right fore laying. Can you see what I mean? Head coming up, the right fore down, the left fore. Now that, um, the, the, the two main machines out there um, can now differentiate between that. Uh, we do it via withers sensor, which um, I won't go into too much detail, but essentially we know the withers do move true, if you like, whether, whereas the head can be affected by the hind. So if the withers and the head disagree, then we, we uh, tend to think it's a referred lameness. Um, and um, yeah, so that that certainly gives us an option to to um, to do that. Of course, you know, there's. Um, I should stress sometimes it helps to prove a horse's sound as well. <laughs> you know, if you think I can't spot a lameness, and the and, and the sensors say you know a soundness, then then that's great. We can use it with with horses being ridden as well. Uh, with the with the systems, they don't interfere with saddle placement, and that can be useful. Um, and I should stress as well, and I think this is an interesting point, um, and you'll notice uh, sportsmen, um, rugby players, football players and so forth, um, are often wearing these little, well, you can see them on the top of their jerseys at the back, a little sort of rectangular looking box type thing, obviously hidden amongst the padding that they wear these days, when mainly thinking about rugby players. But And also, you know, there's readouts where people say, oh, so-and-so has run, you know, 700 meters and this game made 22 tackles and you know whatever um well clearly it's not someone just sort of some poor guy watching this one player for the entire match you know and well you know getting that uh, and trying to guess it you know clearly there's something a bit more technical going on here and that's coming from from essentially these gyroscopes inertia sensors that these these players are wearing and so rather than a similar fashion as you got your app to take you running tells you how many strides you've done during each day um you know there's one of these in your in your phone i'll come back to that in a second um but the um what is an interesting strategy it's been used by a few teams um whereby each person will have their normal data output um, almost a signature um uh, output in terms of which how much they push off of each of their hind legs hind legs each of their legs um and that's your sort of signature data and what they do in 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 these elite athletes is they if during training or even during a match they identify that that data is changed then the uh, the right thing to do if you like or the most sensible thing to do is to withdraw that person from training almost like a sort of pre-injury um sense and certainly we know if we take the uh, situation back to horses one of the most common breakdown injuries in national hunt race horses so uh, five six seven eight nine ten year old thoroughbreds jumping thoroughbreds the most common breakdown injury in these horses are suspend uh, sorry superficial digital flexor tendon injuries and we know that that is pre those injuries are preceded 
by degenerative change in those tendons. And it is likely that these horses do indeed show a change in their uh, normal data output. Um, if we go back to the humans, there's, there's, a, there's a team, uh, I always forget, is it basketball? Basketball or baseball team in the States that had a very high injury rate and in, uh, had this decided to implement this strategy during a season. And when their players were with were, were showing some changes to their normal output, they withdrew them from training. And they managed to reduce their injury rate by around about 80%. Um, so, you know, it, and it kind of makes sense. You know, you have a, um, these, a lot of these athletes will be carrying around niggles. It's a, you know, the nature of their, you know, their, their career is their, uh, of course, is their, uh, their ability to play and so forth. And they may uh, mask them. They may not even be aware they're masking them. But of course, it would all, we've all seen it, you know, big, good players suffering from, from uh, catastrophic injuries. Um, and certainly if, if you could withdraw those players um, you might better prevent quite a lot of those if we take the analogy through to horses now of course if every horse is wearing one of these and you knew the normal data output it would be very interesting for those national hunt race horses the problem is of course is convincing all the money that's tied up in them with in terms of owners and, and races and so forth say so, sorry your horse isn't lame but he's going to get lame um, we think uh, based on his data output so we should not run him in this very lucrative race um, it would take some doing but you know it would be a very interesting uh, study to, to do is, is anyone using uh, this sort of data for, for not, horses yeah not not that I'm aware of in terms of a consistent um, uh, using it in that fashion I know there are stables that are using uh, inertia sensors um, but of course it's, it's, it's the application and the interpretation of course would require some um, uh, you know, some, someone to be doing that, but I think um, there are uh, stables that are beginning to use it, use it in this fashion. Um, but you know, it is a, it is, it's a very interesting um, possible use in terms of prevention of injury, which of course is, I guess, is where we'd love to be really uh, with this. So, so yeah, they've I mentioned as well about the iPhones, which is quite interesting. We now there is if you care to strap your iPhone to the uh, backside of a horse and watch it trot off into the distance, um, then it has the same ability with a program that's um, um, uh, Tilo Farrell, who's a biomechanical engineer here, um, has has been involved in testing and demonstrated that it, it can provide some useful data. In fact. Um, but I'm not willing to really strap my phone to the admitting <laughs> your your insurance of your phone okay, covers that. Yeah, I'm not sure it does. So, um, but um, but yeah. So these and we're looking at it now as well in terms of its possibility. You know, we, we the, the advantage of the RVC system is it can look at um, uh, you can put them wherever you want actually, and having Tilo in house to analyze the data and we are starting to put it down the spine of horses to look at back movement normal back movement um, people have done it before we're trying to just collect a lot of data and just to see uh, those horses which have demonstrable back pain to identify the um, the changes in their their, their thoracolumbar lumbar sacral movement um, and potentially also see their response to treatment as a more objective uh, evaluation of back movement which is even even less objective um, than, than lameness when uh, uh, you know when when done by the sort of naked eye, if you like. So, you know, it has the potential to be used in that sort of sphere as well. And so we were talking a little bit uh, before we started this about there's a bit of controversy with uh, mm. the use of uh, of uh, gait analysis software, and, and is that is that to do what further information it provides you than than, um, than so your the, the vet's opinion, or is it because of 
uh, maybe potential bias or making people think that that's what they need to do? I think so, and this is at risk of sort of big generalizations, but broadly speaking, the those that uh, are not comfortable um, using uh, the gain analysis or don't feel that they should be used, it, the, their, their argument is, is, amongst other things, that it simplifies lameness too much into just looking at movement of these particular structures. And there's far more that should be concentrated on the nuances of lameness, multi, multiple different factors, um, and I, I suppose I suppose when I read that, I just feel fractionally insulted, I guess, and I suppose pretty strong maybe. But to suggest that you know we're just all there gathered around a computer looking at data, you know, which which clearly you're never going to do. Um, you know, it's purely another tool. You know, rather like you might use. Uh, you know, ultrasound, radiography, scintigraphy, uh, stethoscope, a stethoscope from time to time, even as a surgeon. Um, and um, you know, you—it's—it's it's another tool. You can choose to ignore it entirely, and of course, you're going to look at everything else. Of course, you're going to watch the horse being ridden if that's appropriate, um, and you're going to watch the horse, how it—you know—the flexion and extension of its back, the loading of its limb, you know, where it's placing its limb, and how it's placing its limb. You'll be looking at all all of that in exactly the same way. You've simply got, in addition, uh, something else there, just doing a little bit of objective measuring, measuring distances. Now, as I said, you can choose to ignore it if you wish. It's absolutely up to you. My experience of it is that yeah, I find it 100% a help. Um, not least because we all have dance in our mind from time to time, you know. No matter how good you are, how far have you, however far you get down the line, I'm sure you do too. Um, and you know, even if it's just another person saying, "Yeah, yeah, no, I think I do the same thing." Well, this is a bit like that. It's like another person with you saying, "Yeah, it's right hind lame," you know. And look, if it's if there's something else going on, then it's a very complicated lameness. Um, but it's you know these 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 systems can't lie. They can't lie about what they are measuring. Okay, that's all they are doing and you interpret how much if you think the right gibbercoxy is moving more it will confirm that i like the fact that you said as well that you would you kind of play a game with yourself before to mm -hmm. see, see whether you you agree with it so you mm -hmm. commit and then um, if yeah. it throws up something that you don't agree with then you'll you'll make yourself yeah. look back at the videos and i suppose that's where it's important yeah, exactly. that you've collected some information so you're not trying to second guess your yourself yeah. and i suppose I with, with that information i suppose you could take that to someone else couldn't you and say yeah. Yeah. this is what what yes. i think and, yeah, and at exactly. least they'd have some way of well you've got the, you know exactly you've got the pictures i wish you videoed it as well you know and you've got that alongside your your, your game analysis data um and you know and I, so i meant to say in answer to one of your questions earlier on actually and we know that you know that, that i mentioned in terms of this min diff max diff scenario with that, you can start to build in different types of lameness. Let's say, for the sake of argument, you know you had a classic footballer metatarsal injury, you know, right in your toe. Now, if you're walking, it's, it's obviously you, the thing that you would find painful would be the push off, you know. Whereas I mentioned before, if you had a, a stone in your shoe that's sitting at your heel, then of course weight bearing would be your push off would be fine. You can jump as high as the light off your toes, but you wouldn't be keen to land. Now, of course, there are 
in a similar fashion, pain coming from different sites on the limb are likely to, to hurt different points in the stride cycle. That only makes sense, you know. So, for example, you know, um, flexor tendon injuries, I guess, potentially more for weight bearing. Now, we, of course, are far more types of or reasons for lameness than there are combinations of, you know, push off. Uh, both push off and weight bearing affected or only push off affected only weight bearing affected but still um, there's a potential certainly my my belief is there's a potential that there are certain if you like signatures of of lamenesses such that um, you know mostly your suspension ligament for example uh, desmitis might give you more of a, a push off lameness we're not there yet certainly we've got to collect a lot of data and that's being collected um, in all the while but trying to link lamenesses to giving you certain types, so causes of lameness, giving you certain types of lameness. And that's certainly feasible. Um, but you, know, you mentioned about playing you know, a game with yourself, and I, and I don't want to sort of trivialise it, of course, but you know, I think always, always, always back to basics. And that, that comes back down to, you know, as I said, trying to predict the leg that the horse is lame on initially um, through your, before you even move the horse. Uh, of course, you know, make that judgment before the objective gait analysis. Um, and then when it comes to palpation, you know, use use your fingers, use your hands and feel for heat, feel for enlargement and distension, pain or palpation, all those things. And, uh, you know, try and actually get the diagnosis, you know, if it's painful on palpation, if it's deep digital flex tendon in its foot, maybe it's got a DDF tear. Try and say, I think it's got a DDF lesion. Or, you know, you palpate its flexor tendon sheath. Um, and you think it might have a manic flexoria tear potentially these sorts of things you know try and do it because you feel pretty good if you can um, if you get it right and it makes you just always you know not reliant on any machine not least the inertia sensors but you know your uh, ultrasound of course you're going to still use these things to back you up but it gives you a bit of an inner glow you know if you get it right you know. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, um, and that's because because really what we spent the most of the time talking about is the ability to work out which leg is lame in the in the first place. So there's a lot invested in just mm. working out that, and then obviously there's the there's the you know the process of them working out what part of the the yeah. uh, the the um, tendon muscle um, mm. or anything is is a, is, a, mm. is affected. So um, probably probably that's uh, maybe too much to to go into today, but I suppose just just um before uh, I, I let you uh, let you go do you, do you always block every horse that you would uh, work up as a lane well yes yeah, so it's a good question again so, i mean you know certainly there are times where you are faced with a horse that might have a um, distended um, joint um and you look and look at the history for example let's say for the sake of argument give, give a case example you know you've got a a, a yearling thoroughbred that comes in with a swollen tarsacral joint you know it may not be lame so you can't block it but it's likely you know you're obviously going to focus on that it's likely it's got ACD yeah that's really common uh, in, in horse of that type and age and so you know naturally you, you wouldn't necessarily need to block that horse especially if it's not lame then of course you, you can't anyway um, if you've got a horse that's you know that, that's, that's very lame then you know, you're worried about exacerbating the injury of course then you may not block and you've got you know, the pain or palpation in some location um, and uh, or radiographic change so another reason why it might not block blocking really is for those where you're going to you need that confirmation you feel it's safe 
to 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 trot the horse um, with respect to its injury. So you make a judgment on that, and if you can't palpate any signs of sites of pain, then of course, you know, chances are it's going to be safe to to perform those blocks. Um, and also, you know, if this is, you know, when it comes down to treatment, of course, not least because of expense and time, and if it involves a surgery, you know, GA risks, you need to be as close to 100% sure as you can be that this is a site of lameness. Um, and so, with that in mind, confirming it with, with nerve blocks, it's, we're fortunate in horses to be able to do nerve blocks, um, we, you can, you know, beyond reasonable doubt, confirm a site as being your site of lameness. So blocks certainly give you that. Now, of course, there are some nuances of blocks, you know, we should place too much volume, uh, errant placement and so forth, where they can diffuse and they can confuse confuse you as well by doing so. But as long as you're diligent and you use low volumes and uh, careful about your placement and you are aware of where they can diffuse to, then you should be, you know, they, they can be used and, and really help, be really helpful for you. Certainly if I'm going to surgery with a horse, as I said, I want to be as close to 100% confident that I'm doing the right thing for the horse. Um, and, you know, I would, uh, it would be very unusual for not to, for me not to have confirmed it to be the site of lameness um, if, um, you know, by blocks before before going to surgery. Because I just think you need that, the time, the expense and the risk involved with taking horses to surgery. You just need that element of comfort that, you know, this is the right thing to be doing. Um, and um, you know, obviously, making sure you've explored, um, you know, conservative options if that's feasible or possible. So, so yeah, they give you something. I don't block every horse. No, that's true. But by the time horses get to me, you know, the majority will be blocked. I mentioned earlier you wouldn't block a horse before, you know, two weeks. And if, of course, you know, you see the horse out of out in first opinion practice after two weeks, you know, it's showing a sixty, seventy, eighty percent improvement. Well, then you might think, well, let's give it another couple of weeks. Um, you know, before I start start blocking. So, you know, there's no one size fits all. It usually, you know, if, if a lameness has got, not got better over sort of four to six weeks, then I think you can be pretty satisfied it's not going to swiftly get better anyway. And could you be doing something to make it get better more quickly, you know? Uh, and the blocks are the first goal, first, sorry, the first stage to achieving that, that goal. Mm. Is there anything else you'd like to, to add, Fish, about uh, about using any of these uh, technology for detecting lameness? Yeah, I suppose, well, like I said, you know, they, they, they come with an expense, of course, you know, like all these things do, um, you know, ranging from somewhere between ten to £20,000, these, these systems, you know. So if you're not seeing many lamenesses, it's hard to justify that. Um, but that's like so many pieces of equipment, you know, we'd all love to have a, you know, a hospital stocked with the most recent equipment and drugs and all the rest of it that we can possibly lay our hands on. So it's always a judgment call. What I would say is that, you know, if you can't justify um, spending, you know, £10,000 plus on a gate analysis system, well, hopefully you can spend you know, £150 on a video camera. Um, and that has numerous, numerous benefits I have found over the time of my time um you know it it can it gives you a visual record of it of of what you have seen um even from a litigation perspective which on two occasions in my career that's been useful in the sense of it's completely diffused that where someone says i've blocked the wrong leg and i sent them the video and i said well you know you gotta, anyone have a look at it and that's the last i heard of them so you know it's, it's a, it could be useful like that you know in a sort of slightly cynical fashion but you know it and also there's lots of other situations you know we've all been there we see something you know that you want to um 
get a video of might be a neurological horse you want to send um you know to, to someone um it might be something that's particularly sort of cool you're seeing the horse doing um you know seizure whatever um of course you want to don't delay treatment with taking you know like spielberg but uh you know it can be useful and take lots of photos lots of videos and of course your 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 smartphone can do plenty of that um but um you know for, as a simple uh, thing to do than, than video and just you know just look at lots of lenses you know lots of people worry about I have students coming through who are just worried sick about the spotting lameness um, but you know don't panic and honestly if you can't spot it then it's probably not that lame and you know take comfort from that you know I think I was uh, told when we were going through university to go to the horse sale yards and uh, mm. that's the that's the best way to yeah. spot lamenesses or, or go there with someone and, and yeah, just yeah. Ha- start having a look at horses a bit more. And well, I often hear my students say, well, if, you know, how lame do you think it is? And they say, the, the comment comes back saying something on the lines of, well, if I can see it, it must be at least three tenths. <laughs> you know? And that's not really the way to be, you know. You, your grading system is a guide within yourself, you know. It's not, uh, as long as you're not, like, way out in something that's on nine tenths, you're calling one tenth, you know. It's... The, 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 the absolute grade three four two whatever it doesn't matter as long as you can appreciate the horse is lame and which leg it's lame on and then subsequently you can appreciate it's improved um but yeah it is a it is an art there's no doubt about it um and there's certain there's always going to be a subjective component um but the, the objective you know that's where these systems come in they give you a little bit of a backup uh, and that's only can be helpful well, uh, we'll wrap it up there. And um, honestly, like many, many thanks for your time uh, no today again, again, Fish. And, and thank you for listening. So uh, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your generic fruit-based device. And that way you don't even have to worry about missing a podcast. Um, if you could leave us a, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be great. Um, and maybe if you if you can spare the time to go to the BritishPodcastAwards.com and uh, maybe uh, drop us down for the Listener's Choice Award. Obviously, you might get distracted and choose like another podcast, but maybe this year, uh, maybe just uh, choose us instead. So we'll place any show notes in the RVC pages. So just type in RVC Clinical Podcast in your search engine and should be top of the tree. So if you have any comments or suggestions for this podcast, please get in touch. So you can either email dbarfield at rvc.ac.uk or tweet at Don Barfield. Until next time, bye-bye.